Alright, what is up? Oh, wait, let me bring this down a bit. Yeah, the screaming in your ears. Oh my god. Okay, what is up everyone? Uh, today I'm going to switch pace a little bit and look at uh, text that I've, I was only introduced to uh, about a week ago called Governing by Debt by Maurizio Lazzarato. So this is the, the kind of text that I wouldn't normally look at or or uh, kind of present in this uh in this medium because it's kind of um it's fact heavy it deals with with contemporary political events in such a way that makes it difficult to extract from it kind of like philosophical ideas and it really belongs to the realm of like social science in that way uh which isn't bad like obviously so for that reason, I tend to avoid these kinds of books because the only real way I most of the time to get something out of them is to kind of memorize the figures that are that are presented, or if you know you're writing an essay or something, to have uh, the figures provided immediately through a text like this is is pretty is pretty cool. But here, normally I would avoid it. However, this text is very interesting because it explores the implications of Deleuzian and Guattarian notions of capture and how that plays into control through taxation and through debt. Moreover, they go over a number of other key philosophical thinkers, which is, I, it's really interesting how they do it. So on that note here, let's jump right into it. So the first chapter is titled, um, Profit, Rent, Taxes, colon, three apparatuses of capture. Now this idea of apparatuses of capture comes directly from Deleuze and Guattari's Thousand Plateaus, which I actually did um, a talk on here with, with uh, someone who's doing their research on that, not that chapter specifically, but Deleuze and, and all that kind of stuff, where we explore uh, that chapter and what exactly an apparatus of capture is. And to kind of summarize really briefly, um, it has to do with the process or I guess the processes by which states acquire the, or acquire different aspects, areas of social life, physical land, or anything like that, through legislation, through various other, at times even ritualistic means, to attain, to acquire certain things. So in that way, it's kind of, I guess... The title is self-explanatory in that way. It's an apparatus of capture, capturing things. In Deleuze and Guattari, in the chapter, they really uh, lay this out as having occurred or suggest that this is a phenomenon that has occurred for a great deal of time. And they go back many thousands of years in many cases. But what Lazzarato is doing here is taking the idea and applying it specifically to the concept of debt, hence the title, Governing by Debt, and how debt is mobilized by the state, more specifically the capitalist enterprise of the state, using that as a means of control over people, over bodies, kind of uh, placing them under the uh, jurisdiction of a debt, a debt machine. So specifically, 
As Lazzarotta writes, in capitalism, appropriation functions through a three-headed apparatus of capture, profit, rent, and taxation. Now, these three institutions operate for the benefit of capitalism in, I guess, it pretty simply for those people that are at least somewhat familiar with Marxist doctrine, would this isn't a very radical or, or, or strange idea. And it makes, it makes a lot of sense in how these, these three things work together, that is profit, rent, and taxation, especially where if we were to think about each of these three terms in, in a different way, profit dealing directly with the um, process of production and the um, those that own the means of production, uh, rent, those that, own, those that own the means of production that, I guess, give out a bit of their land, not so that it can actually be owned by someone else, but so that it can be, I guess, uh, they can capitalize, they can profit off of someone else, I guess, existing under the illusion of them owing, owning that land. We can think of banks in this way as well, where very few people actually own their homes, for instance. Rather, they have mortgages, which ultimately comes down to the banks owning their homes, where if they can't pay the mortgage, then guess what? You're out of there. And then finally, taxation, which pretty much subsumes everyone else that doesn't fall into the first two uh, criteria, gets all of them under the same functional, or not, not so functional, but operating uh, capitalist system. Now, for my own part, I tend to resist these types of analyses, at least how it's presented so far. Of course, it gets more complicated um, because it, it locates in capitalism uh, or it suggests that these elements are new with, with capitalism, which which I don't even think is what Deleuze and Guattari say. Like these apparatuses of capture have existed for a long time. So I find it at times reductive to simply associate with associate current ills dealing with economic stuff, political stuff, social stuff with capitalism, precisely because these things existed in in some cases they preceded capital. However, that does not stop Lazzarato from asking some very interesting questions, specifically when he evokes Deleuze and Guattari and A Thousand Plateaus, to which he writes, "An analysis of the complementarity of the crisis has made manifest." can be found in A Thousand Plateaus, and he continues, if money, quoting Deleuze and Guattari, if money is always distributed by an apparatus of power, its circulation and turnover, as well as the equivalents, goods, services, money, are assured through taxation, which makes money a general equivalent. Taxes are what create money, and taxes are what monetize the economy. So taxes, I guess, can be thought of as that thing that um, enters capital into the law of equivalence, where there is established a general standard for what money should give a general public, therefore reinforcing the idea of the need for money and reinforcing the idea for, for capital or capitalism. So in that way, again quoting Deleuze and Guattari, the tax on aristocrats and the distribution of money to the poor were a means of bringing money back to the rich. It's kind of turning the idea of um, uh, trickle-down economics back, uh, putting it on its head, right? The kind of liberal idea that if uh, we reduce regulation, anything like that, I say liberal idea, but that is it's become like a conservative idea. Like this, these 
terms are really uh, wish-washy. But the traditional liberal idea that if you reduce regulation, leave the market to itself, what you will see are are people prospering on uh, among all walks of life. Whereas Deleuze and Guattari make apparent here, and that which Lazzarato chimes into, if we tax the rich in order to give to the poor, all that does, and it does it through a plethora of ways, is really uh, emphasize the need for capital. And it creates you know, that welfare state type situation where people are then dependent on capital and capitalism for their, in order to survive. So as Lazzarato says in relation to this, taxation ensures the holy political reproduction of an economy, which by itself would be incapable of functioning according to the fundamental political divisions that constitute it, creditors, debtors, capital, labor, etc., so all this is a fundamentally political act. There isn't that kind of split between economics and politics, as we might think. And he comes to, he goes into this much in much greater detail in a little a little later on. But we what we have is a wholly political situation, where, as he says, it's fundamentally political instrument that is capitalism is taxation. So when taxation is used to guarantee, or at least provide the illusion of uh, there being these kinds of needs being satisfied through social services or or anything like that, what it does for Lazzarato is actually, um, you know, not only instill the illusion of there being this kind of homogenous set of, of, of needs, but rather, or in addition to that, it reaffirms the need for taxation, reaffirms the need for that kind of mandate or that control over these services by some locus of power, be it government or or whatever, you know, mass, um, you know, multinational, multi-billion dollar corporations or, or whatever is in control at that particular moment. So Lazzarato is really thinking about this, and, he, and this book came out in 2013, 2012, 2013, uh, coming after the 2008 financial crisis, where there really was um, a global uh, crisis due to a single country, for the some part, uh, that is, one country's um, inability to account for the their housing bubble resulted in many other countries going going under, going into uh, going into depression, essentially which really emphasizes the reach of this system on a global level, where it seems as though nothing exists outside of this system. So what we see is this kind of, you know, the uh, realization of a homogenous, the realization of a homogenization of this sort of power through taxation or of this sort of control through taxation. Taxation through its, at least, its um, claim to be providing something for us, places us, according to Lazaretto, in the state of indebtedness, where we feel like we are made to be uh, subordinate or that we are placed under the servitude or made servile, made subordinate to a system that has given us so much, at least uh, that's how it advertises itself. And this is all. This is very similar to um, the the thesis that Baudrillard puts forth, if we might remember, 
um, in the consumer society. For those that aren't familiar, um, there's a video on it called the um, uh, Vicious Cycle of Growth on YouTube by, by who is that by? By Corey Garden that gives a really eloquent um, outlook or look, <laughs> outlook, or look at uh, Baudrillard's chapter where he essentially argues that despite all the kind of progressive efforts to make taxation really beneficial to people in whatever form we could think of, what we ultimately see is the growing, um, the growing divide between you know the rich and the poor, where no matter despite the past 50 years of there being kind of um, an, um, a re- not a revival, but a, oh my God, um, but a hashing up of public consciousness in relation to um, economic oppression, what we see is not necessarily a benevolent move in the right direction, but rather the continuation of an oppressive system through the, you know, the increase in the division between the ultimate, the, the ultra rich and the ultra poor. So for that reason, Baudrillard, like Lazzarato, are two people that they're very weary about any sort of rhetoric around the possibility of using something like taxation for good, or using something like government intervention for good, because they feel like government, they feel like capitalism, they feel like taxation are those things that are fundamentally flawed. And there, there can't be a kind of benevolent use of that. Now, with that being said, um, and it's kind of tricky to see where Lazzarato or what Lazzarato was suggesting, because it would seem on, on one side, you know, he's kind of like an anarchist. But on the other side, like at, at points, it seems as though, you know, he's really, he's prepared to um, accept some kind of like, uh, you know, these liberal policies or whatever that would see people benefit directly from services, from social services, or from healthcare services, or, or what else, whatever else. So for that way, we shouldn't just, for those people that might want to just disregard this type of thinking as being along the lines of some kind of pseudo-anarchist um, libertarianism, there, there is there is more here than just that. So kind of moving from Deleuze and Guattari, uh, Lazzarato takes the time to think about Carl Schmitt, so Schmidt, Schmidt was a conservative German who was very interested in kind of the Machiavellian notions of taking political power, what that meant, how to do it. So in that way, he was he was a reactionary, right? And Lazzarato makes that incredibly clear. And uh, he quotes Marx where Marx says, um, you know, it's almost as good to look at the, consider the words of the reactionaries as to consider the words of the reformists or the revolutionaries, because there's a lot of truth in what they say, even if it is a kind of antithetical truth. So what Schmidt provides for Lazzarato is as follows. Schmidt helps us to avoid any kind of utilitarian, contractualist, or conventionalist conception of the economy. The economy always begins with barter, exchange, commodity capital, and the relationship between free contracting parties. The great merit of this reactionary thinker is to have reversed the order, replacing the market and exchange's starting point with a political one, which is interesting because it doesn't just uh, take kind of the Marxist conception of uh, anything political, right? And we think of our superstructure here, where everything derives from the means of production or from the 
the way in which the economy is kind of organized, everything else develops from that philosophy, politics, society, anything like that. Whereas Lazzarato identifies in Schmidt a recognition of the political actually coming before, in part, these apparatuses of capture or these kinds of capitalist in institutions that he's been describing. So, of course, there are Schmidt poses many problems. You know, Schmidt was a thinker of the nation state, something that he, or as Lazaretto identifies, something that he lamented. He liked the idea of the nation state, and it was very fascist in that way. But in contrast to the nation state, Lazzarato sees in Schmidt uh, kind of contempt for the idea of the social state. So the social state is a new kind of state that has little to do with the nation state whose loss of autonomy led to its gradual but inevitable disappearance, which Schmidt laments. Moreover, Schmidt also calls the social state the total state. In his writing, the term does not refer to an all-powerful totalitarian state. It represents a symptom of the weakness failure and decadence of these states' old ethical and political principles. So in the social state, at least how Schmidt recognized it as being influenced by, you know, liberal kind of Marxist thought, uh, he, he suggested that, um, or Lazzarato, what Lazzarato sees in Schmidt, uh, was that Schmidt accuses proponents of the social state of minimizing the problem of appropriation liberals, and especially ordo-liberals, failed to recognize the political nature of appropriation and distribution because they seemed to deny that one had to take from one group in order to give to another. So for, for him, it, it would just be because uh, there was too much of an emphasis on this idea of the kind of the economy, which kind of excluded real people, kind of lacked that... Um, kind of epistemological evaluation that would consider variations in what, you know, people may have wanted or, or thought important. So in that way, there is a reduction of people under the kind of guise of scientific socialism that re that reduced them in some way. So for Schmidt, as Lauderado identifies, this was just kind of an illusory form of democracy and peace, or at least the idea that would come out of this idea of state socialism, or rather state, state society. They then go on to present another key term out of Schmidt's vocabulary, uh, notably conquest of the earth, where they say that uh, Schmidt accounts for, in part, this kind of globalized effort indicative of um, kind of state society, or, or social society, or, or whatever term we could stick in here, that was kind of um, that was a result of us losing our connection to the traditional nation state. So very reactionary in that way. Uh, but th there is a, certainly a point to be had about the tearing down of borders or the tearing down of distinctions between people under the pretense of a capitalist economy that sees only profit. And this is really made apparent with the global economic crisis of 2008, where Lazzarato identifies that what we saw was really the destructive capabilities of capitalism. So what he says is that although capitalism is both a process of production and destruction, the crisis has led to the collapse of the former on the one hand and the liberation 
of the destructive side of capitalism on the other. It is not a question of balanced budgets, of reviving the economy, but of destroying the constant and variable capital that fails to comply with the norms of valorization of the financialized economy. So he takes this idea to think once again about Deleuze and Guattari, notably the notion of deterritorialization, which I don't fully agree with how he deals with it here, but it presented anyways, where he says that it is now a given that capitalist deterritorialization is not relative but absolute. Deterritorialization not only means the destruction of the labor force, the destruction of productive capacities, techniques, commodities, modes of consumption deemed obsolete in order to create others, which will be t- which will in turn be destroyed in order to create still others. Deterritorialization also means the destruction of the earth, the planet, and the environment which make life possible. Now, in Deleuze and Guattari, that, that sentiment is certainly there, but at the same time, um, they also view deterritorialization as a potentially positive force, where they call for people to kind of embrace it, embrace the, the kind of rhizomatic possibility that comes out of deterritorialization, so that people are not stuck within the homogenizing tendencies of capitalism. So although this is, I think this this is correct, what Lazzarato says, he doesn't present the way in which deterritorialization is also something applauded by Deleuze and Guattari. So from here, we'll move into the next chapter titled, and this would be very relevant to anyone listening, I'm sure, uh, titled The American University, A Model of the Debt Society. So he presents an article, or He says that a recent report from the New York Federal Reserve on U.S. household debt presented data data on American student indebtedness. On March 31, 2012, the total amount of students had borrowed and still owed in order to finance their university studies reached $904 billion, $30 billion more than just three months earlier. The number is equal to over half of the public debt of Italy and France, for much lower debt, the European Union and the IMF promptly tore Greece apart, a country now in its sixth year of recession. For comparable or lower sums, recession, austerity measures, personal sacrifice, unemployment, and poverty are imposed on the millions of citizens of indebted countries. So this indebtedness gives us the semblance of a sort of individuality, where on one side it sucks to be in debt, obviously, but at the same side it it's kind of the extension of the old um, desire to be indebted to supernatural powers, as he says, where quoting an anthropologist who says that we may ask if the whole of the enormous movement of the modern economy might not be the last and most radical way to eliminate the gods, to do away with gift-giving and debt. So in that way, how we can conceive of this as being having some relationship to the, the idea of the debt of life or the original debt that is the one that needs to be returned with, like, with a counter gift or a gift or sacrifice or whatever, which he comes to challenge a bit, but I'm just throwing this term out here. So in that way, he quotes, some, quoting someone else who says that relieved of any kind of physi- psychological or moral burden, exchange at once rational, efficient, and free develops very quickly. And then here we have Lazzarato once more. We learn to be free then, not only in economic and religious terms, but also in moral and psychological terms. With all of these freedoms, we have finally become complete individuals. 
so these students under debt, you know, he's saying, and he's being kind of playful, I think, here, kind of ironic. Uh, this isn't something to be applauded, right? This idea of individuality, kind of thinking about Foucault as well, uh, is not something to celebrate. But it gives us this semblance of a sort of freedom, the illusion of freedom. So despite what these other people that Lazzarato uh, quotes are saying, he doesn't see this as really being something to celebrate, right? So for the anthropologist, the idea that we've emancipated ourselves from the gods, or that we are seeing some kind of, are being relieved from a sort of um, anxiety-inducing system, these are all absurd ideas, precisely because we are thrown into a more controlled system. So although students or people can claim to be free, Lazzarotto makes clear that students contract their debt debts by their own volition. They then quite literally become accountable for their lives, and to put it in the terms of contemporary capitalism, they become their own managers. Factory workers like primary stu school students are controlled within an enclosed space, the factory walls, for a limited time and by people who, and apparatuses, which remain exterior to them and are easily recognizable. So it is how we've turned that kind of uh, disciplinary gaze onto ourselves, which is really just a consequence of this. Like, this is how Foucault thought about it as well. How we come to mandate ourselves. So, like Lazzarato says, we are our own managers. We are our own capitalist property owners. And all this makes it rather difficult to challenge. Because on one side, you don't necessarily want to suggest that the only way out of this system is for people to give up this idea of their freedom and their autonomy, because this idea of indebtedness is wrapped up within that very idea. So it becomes difficult, because if you suggest that, people will quickly remove themselves. They will quickly lose interest in whatever you have to say, because it doesn't seem worth it. But at the same time, there is a necessity to make this to make this apparent that it does demand some sort of sacrifice to emancipate oneself from this very oppressive system because as long as we are in debt and he uses nietzsche here debt is always and already infinite debt in contemporary capitalism what we are thinking about here though and lazarado makes this very clear by invoking uh Deleuze, Guattari, and, and Nietzsche, is that this is not simply an extension, as I may have mucked up a little bit a little earlier on, like I want to clarify this. Uh, this sort of debt is not simply an extension of the original debt, or um, our indebtedness to a kind of unseen force or an unknown power that gave us this thing called life. No, what we are talking about here is very material. So what he says is that original debt does not link individuals to the community. It is not the sign of a primitive indebtedness transmitted at birth, of an inaugural debt that no one can ever repay. On the contrary, it is produced by a def definite political situation whose genealogy and history can be traced. So in that way, it's, it's material. It certainly, it has... Um, its effects on the everyday life, and it is something that, as he says, has a history, and it is something that can be traced. So for that reason, it's not as obscure, or it's not, doesn't exist in the realm of the, the metaphysical. 
So for the three thinkers he present, presented earlier, that is the anthropologist and the, the economist and the, um, and the philosopher, as I think I've made pretty clear, uh, he says that Deleuze and Guattari make the opposite point. That is, they make a point against the idea that in modern capitalist societies, we are able to free ourselves from debt through monetary reimbursement. That is, we're able to free ourselves from the uh, kind of metaphysical debt with this material form. Lazzarato is much more interested in what Deleuze and Guattari have to say, which is that um, the opposite, which is the ar opposite argument, which goes as follows. Archaic societies are characterized by, an, by a finite and mobile debt. While the emergence of empires, states, and monotheistic religions, debt has become infinite debt. So in the pre-kind of capitalist age, or even earlier, the idea of debt was not... It didn't. It, it wasn't an infinite in that it wasn't a totalizing system. So every there was uh, the ability for any community to engage in this thing called debt in a very different way. Whereas today, what we see through this idea of infinite debt is the, I guess, grasp of the entire planet, where every community can be subsumed under this very category. And in the, in the old system, what I just kind of reluctantly call the old system or the pre-capitalist one, uh, there, there are thinkers who thought that, or still think, that sacrifice was a way by which people emancipated themselves or lessened the burden of debt. So as he says, sacrifice constitutes the transcendence relative to which everyone is indebted. It resolves the problem of war of all against all by revealing through the sacrificial victim, a mediation, a transcendence, whose de descendants are money, the state, and sovereignty, that pacifies the original violence that exchangers, producers, perpetuate on one another. So to kind of supplant his analysis, he takes aim at uh, René Girard, Girard, who is a thinker of sacrifice, and the way that sacrifice performed this function. So he quote in quoting he quotes oh my god he quotes Gérald here who says that there is a unity that underlies not only all mythologies and rituals but the whole of human culture and this unity of unities depends on a single mechanism continually functioning because perpetually misunderstood the mechanism that assures the community's spontaneous and unanimous outburst of opposition to the surrogate victim so in response to this Lazzarato scoffs and he says that unfortunately, sacrifice is not in the least universal. It is not found in all archaic societies, but only in those that settle the problem of power relations through transcendence. According to André uh, Leroy-Gourra, sacrifice was unknown in Paleolithic societies, nor is there any trace of it in hunter-gatherer societies. So this point is important, and what he's doing here is really emphasizing the material uh, aspects of his case, saying that he doesn't want to get bogged down in the in the metaphysical concerns of debt, indebtedness, sacrifice, uh, the counter gift, as long as they don't manifest themselves materially. He's, he says that is all jargon, it's crap, and he just kind of brushes it away by saying that, look, it's not a universal concept as the th primary thinker of sacrifice, um, René Girard, suggests and for that reason, it's it's crap. Now I'm, you know, I have a problem with this. Uh, I think that there's something certainly important about what 
Lazzarato is doing, but he does undermine the role of symbolic in institutions in the maintenance of social, I guess, um, social organization or of a kind of general group um, group connection or connectivity. So for Lazzarato, sacrifice or anything like that is not some kind of um, way to speak to the gods and really allow for people to organize together under a under the guise of, of being against some mythical or unknown force. Rather, according to Lazzarato, the institution of sacrifice does not proceed from human nature, from the original violence that supposedly defines all societies, as Gerard would like us to think. It is instead the result of an appropriative political operation carried out by the state, the priest, and the bureaucrat, as well as the imminent practices of the shaman. So in that way, sacrifice marks a political victory over the forms of organization and other conceptions of the world and the cosmos. And then just as Girard projects his monotheistic fundamentalism onto societies that were non, not monotheistic, so heterodox economic theory projects through life debt its need for state institutional mediation onto societies organized in such a way as to avoid such mediation. So that just is Lazzarato essentially suggesting that in this uh, discourse pertaining to sacrifice, what we see is not necessarily... Um, an observation of what just occurs, but rather what we are seeing through Girard, at least this is how he recognizes it, what we see is the imposition of an already established idea onto these pre-capitalist or these other societal formations. So for that reason, he proposes that it is the mirror of these same kind of economic systems that are, perform the same thing today. So Nietzsche is a figure that is much more interesting as opposed to this kind of discourse around sacrifice for Lazzarato, because Nietzsche's thinking about the Ubermann or, or uh, about values and the genealogy of morals presents for him kind of an autonomous subject, and I'll say that hesitatingly, hesitantly, because it's a little bit more complicated. But what he says, invoking the work of Graeber, so Graeber, by making a claim that would make even an undergraduate think twice, namely that Adam Smith's Homo economicus and its corresponding rationality are the basis of Nietzsche's philosophy, blithely mistakes the question of value with that of the value of the market and of the political economy. Nietzschean man is indeed the creature that measures values, that evaluates the valuating animal as such. But these values do not depend on the market or on Homo economicus. It is neither the market nor homo economicus that creates, measures, and evaluates values. Value presupposes evaluations, evaluating points of view from which their value stems. So for Nietzsche, it is much more important to criticize this idea of values, to not necessarily focus on, as Lazzarato quotes him, the value of this or that table of values, the value of existing evaluations or anything like that, but rather the Nietzschean mode would be to evaluate or to criticize, to analyze this thing called values themselves, rather than specific values of specific things, as the kind of liberal philosophical econom economist might have it. And it follows from here Nietzsche's uh, speaking about the 
idea of infinite debt as being this new development in the course of things, right? So by thinking about this idea of values or how the future of philosophical thinking would be concerned with the values of specific things as opposed to the question of values themselves that have uh, are, are surely a product of some kind of capitalist intervention, uh, Nietzsche, in a sense, can be said to think about this uh, capitalist system in terms of the apparatuses of capture through Deleuze and Guattari and how Lazzarato is thinking about it in a way that might seem a little strange to think about Nietzsche in terms of uh, anti-capitalist type thinking. But I think that there is certainly some weight to that in the way that capitalism has the, um, or tends to, you know, create the idea of values in places where it doesn't exist. And Nietzsche, you know, thinking about this, this Uberman or anything like that, getting at the, um, getting to the bare roots of things in, in a sense, and how that opposes this kind of capitalist, capitalistic production of value. So ultimately then, as Lazzarato states, it is not through an act of repayment, but through a political act, a refusal, that will break the relation of domination of debt. Contrary to an opinion everyone from anarchists to neoliberals seem to share, the debt of today's capitalism is unpayable, unreimbursable, and infinite. So our only opportunity then is to exit capitalism altogether. So from here, we'll move into the third chapter dealing with the topic of governmentality. So specifically, it is titled Critique of Governmentality 1. Does liberal government, does liberal governmentality exist? Has it ever existed? So he begins this chapter by stating that transformed into a crisis of sovereign debt, the financial crisis has imposed new forms of governmentality and new subjective models both on the side of those who govern technocratic governments and on the side of the governed, the indebted man who expiates his fault through taxes. These new subjective models reveal the true nature of the techniques of governmentality and of the relationship between liberalism and capital better and more profoundly than was the case during the rise of neoliberalism. So he takes this time now to think about Michel Foucault's contribution to this um, topic of subjectivity, uh, specifically invoking Foucault's security, territory, territory, and population, where Lazzarato identifies that Foucault himself affirms that, quoting Foucault here, the problem of sovereignty is not eliminated. On the contrary, it is made more acute than ever. So then to relate this back to his own thesis, he states that as the crisis has uni unequivocally, unequivocally shown, liberals, far from providing an alternative to state government, are only one of the possible forms of subjectification of state capitalism. So the role of governmentality then is not to uh, limit or not to reduce the amount of control exerted over people. Rather, governmentality does not govern as little as possible. Its aim is to construct the social state, an economic state underpinning the socialization of valorization whose target is society above all else. So here we're thinking again of Schmidt, Schmidt's contribution to that idea of the uh, social state and the effect that has on the kind of establishment of universal needs or anything like that. That poses a threat to you know people's possibilities or their possibility to engage in possibility. So all our kind of political organizations suffer because of this. Thinking about representative government or anything like that, they all fall under the same rubric of capitalist exploitation. So as Lazzarato makes clear, the representative political system and the rule of law have met the same fate. 
that is kind of destructuration of their possibility pre-social state. Contrary to the claim Foucault seems to make, that the participation of the governed in drawing up the law in a parliamentary system is the most effective system of governmental economy. The crisis has radically neutralized the voice of the governed, even in the case of elections. So this is a not not a totally radical idea. Like it's something anyone might come up against. How voting doesn't do anything because it's still you know simply changes hands, the power changes hands, doesn't actually challenge the idea of power, and that is what essentially Lazzarato is trying to get across here, where um, it, it also comes down to the Luxem Luxembourgian. Rosa Luxemburg's doxa about reform or revolution, which one of those is a more effective strategy for her, clearly, revolution being the, um, the best option, the same for Lazzarato here as well, where reform would fall on the side of the kind of um, participatory government or representative government systems that he sees in Foucault, right? So in that way, he's advocating for a kind of new revolutionary politics that does that bypasses all of the already plagued, already affected political institutions to get at the core of the issue. So as he says, rather... <laughs> rather brutally, on their own, liberals would never have ventured anything other than a democracy of property owners. So how they just participate in that very system. So in a rather uh, provocative turn, he says that the state is a result of the economy. So specifically, he states that the state does not precede the economy, but results from it. Now, this is totally contrary to what uh, Deleuze and Guattari have to say, because the state, they say, is something that has always been, right? That is that is a response to the kind of archaeological research that was being done at the time they were writing A Thousand Plateaus or just before it, where for them the state has perhaps always existed in some capacity. But what he's saying here, at least what Lazzarato is saying here, is rather interesting because it considers the possibility that no matter what efforts are conducted in the state will always already be participating in that capitalist system. So it does sound repetitive, I'm sure, and reading it is a bit repetitive, but he's kind of approaching it from different ways and, and how to think about it. So then, once again, he takes aim at Foucault for not properly considering this. Now, to me, I don't think Foucault really needed to. Like, Foucault is the one that said, in the order of things, like, Marxism is uh, in the in the 19th century is like a, or the 20th century is like a fish in the water like 19th century it can't breathe anywhere else right he Foucault has always been pretty critical of Marx and Marxism in general uh, so it seems odd that you know Lazzarato is getting at Foucault for I quote who fails to problematize the most important institution of capitalism, that which expresses both in the most abstract and most concrete way capitalist relations of power. I wonder if Foucault really needed to, but no, nah, we have it here. Like, it's Lazzarato's critique. Uh, we're stuck with this. I guess, he, I guess Foucault could have been more critical of capital, but meh, no, we have it here. But it is difficult. If we, if we really try to get at what Lazzarato is saying about taxation or about social services or anything like that. He does seem to flip-flop, kind of move back and forth, whereas right here, he says that 
we still have citizenship, but we lose social services a little bit every day. It would seem as though he's advocating for some kind of um, government system that is able to maintain or to kind of mandate these social services, which would seem to contradict or conflict with what he says about the, I guess, inherently malevolent nature of these institutions. So it's it's tricky to kind of reconcile um, what exactly he, he is advocating for. So for those that have read this, like really take me to task if I'm just being a poor reader or I'm being unfair. I just find it difficult to um, sift out a single thread dealing with the kind of pragmatics of his approach. So yeah, from here I'll kind of close off that third chapter where he, where he really emphasizes the uh, oppressive effects of this kind of capitalist manifestation of the state that just sees, you know, profit for the sake of profit, people as being expendable for profit or anything like that. Um, tend off here before moving into the, the second half of the book. Uh, but this is this is an interesting one for anyone that has listened this far. You know, I definitely recommend someone go check, going to check it out. Um, it's 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 tricky. It's not the easiest read, and it would certainly help if you have a background in Deleuze and Guattari, Schmidt, or Foucault, um, because he you know he draws upon them extensively. But right for anyone who made it this far, cool. Thank you. If you have problems with me, you know how to leave it. Anyways.